Okay, so we are live now. Uh, again, in the Fab Academy lecture series, really happy to host this second one uh, with a very special person. Um, I think she's going to give us to talk about a lot of things in the near future. Maybe some of us were not really prepared for that, but this is a good start. Uh, we have with us a um, good friend, Primavera de Filippi. She's an artist, uh, but also a researcher at the CR CNRS uh, at Paris, uh, associated faculty at the Bergman Center in Harvard, um, and co-founder of Backfeed, who, which she's going to talk about during this lecture about the blockchain and which could be its future implications uh, in different applications. Thank you, Primavera, for joining us. You have the whole of the network for you. Okay, so yeah, I guess I will just begin by saying that um, it's about now three years that I'm uh, researching uh, blockchain technologies. And I started by looking mostly at what are the legal implications, so what are the legal challenges that those technologies raised, and, um, but also how they are actually affecting the legal system. But then, as I started researching those technologies further, I soon noticed that there is actually a really an immense uh, field of opportunities that they provide. And uh, this is how my research has a little bit moved away from, uh, well, I'm still looking at all the legal implications, but now I'm also mostly looking at what are the new opportunities that they provide, uh, most notably in, in terms of how they can help autonomous organizations and like grassroots communities to actually organize and coordinate themselves uh, uh, without relying on the traditional model of hierarchical organization that we know. Um, so I guess I will begin uh, probably with a little uh, overview of uh, what what is the blockchain and what can we do and then I will focus on the new organizational forms that it enabled. So I will start with the screen. Okay. Okay. So, well, I guess we can start from the beginning, which is uh, Bitcoin. So, um, Bitcoin, as you probably all know, is uh, the first decentralized cryptocurrencies, um, which was developed in 2009. And um, essentially, it is a technological uh, mechanism that enables people to exchange value. Uh, with one another without really um, needing any kind of centralized clearinghouse or uh, financial intermediary. So um, in some way, Bitcoin operates completely independently from the government and from the central bank. It is really just you know, value that is created uh, digitally, but the innovation that Bitcoin brings is that it is now possible to exchange this value and uh, even though it relies on a completely decentralized network, it is virtually impossible to actually cheat. So it is impossible to spend twice the same value, the same currency, uh, because there is this system of distributed consensus that verifies constantly that every transaction is correct. And so the main innovation of Bitcoin is essentially the idea that it is now possible to bypass the need of those banks or financial intermediaries um, and uh, a decentralized network or community can now operate and coordinate itself independently. 
Uh, Primavera, so, so, sorry to yes. interrupt you. Um, we are having an issue of looking at your screen. Uh, not, Can you not see it? Uh, no. You don't see the screen? Mm, I'm looking into other, wait a second. Wait just a second, I can tell you. Maybe if you exit from the presentation mode, we can try that. Actually, I'm outside of the presentation mode right now. Can you try, and then you, and you were before? Yes. Uh, wait a second. What do you see, just black? And yeah, most of the people also are getting, uh, now, now if you are not in the presentation mode, you, we can see it. So probably it's something about Keynote. Um, okay, that's fine. Can, so now you yeah. can see the different image. Yes, perfect. Yeah, thank okay. you very much. Okay. So anyway, we can move on. So Bitcoin essentially um, introduced this technology, which is the blockchain technology. Now, the important thing is that Bitcoin is actually just one out of many possible applications of this new technology. And um, very soon it became apparent that there is actually many, many, many new things that can be built on top of the same technology. And so that's when people started to distinguish the concept of Bitcoin, which is an application, which is a decentralized payment system with the underlying technology, which is blockchain. And the blockchain essentially, it's a distributed database or a public ledger, which uh, is completely decentralized and which relies on those cryptographic primitive and distributed consensus algorithm in order to coordinate individuals in a peer-to-peer -peer manner. And so again, the, the, the real, um, the key factor of the blockchain is that people that are distributed and that do not actually know each other and therefore do not trust each other can now interact with one another without the need to rely on one centralized or trusted third party. Now, as, as the technology started to become more and more understood, then people decided to design alternative platforms or alternative application, initially running on top of the Bitcoin blockchain, but it soon become quite obvious that the Bitcoin blockchain, because it was designed to be an actual payment system, um, it had a few limitations. It was actually complicated to add functionalities on top of this, um, of this network. And so people started developing alternative blockchains, which uh, are designed to actually be more general purpose and to enable people to deploy specific application on top of them. So in some way you can imagine that it's more of a, if Bitcoin was an actual payment application, then the new blockchain technology, such as for instance, Ethereum and, um, and other general purpose technology are more of a decentralized operating system which enable anyone to block their own application, deploy it on top of the blockchain, and this application becomes a decentralized application that is run in a completely decentralized manner by every node that is connected to the network. And the specificity of this is that in the same way as the Bitcoin blockchain is a trustless application in the sense that you, you always know that the, the, the transaction is valid because it has been verified by everyone, in the blockchain situation, every application that is run on top of this is also trustless in the sense that you always know it is predeterministic. You always know exactly how it's gonna be executed and no one can actually cheat. So it's really different from the 
current model of uh, online platforms, which are mostly these kind of black boxes in which nobody really knows what is going on. So one really interesting uh, aspect that is introduced on top of this blockchain is the concept of smart contracts. And the idea of a smart contract is really simply just the idea of having this little script or an application that is on top of the blockchain. And um, that basically enable people to interact not just with other people, but also to interact directly with a machine. So um, the idea is that we can encode specific conditions, specific obligation, and people that transact with those applications, they have no choice but to actually comply with those terms. And the interesting thing is that as we combine multiple of those smart contracts, then we can actually create complex system and complex interaction and relationship between people, between people and machines, or between machines and machines, in a way that, again, always um, does, does never require the need for this centralized operator that is dealing with everything. So the idea is really the blockchain uh, is this trustless machine. Um, which makes it possible by, by technology. The trust is uh, delegated away from the central intermediary. It's also not necessary for there to be any trust between the individuals that are interacting with each other. The trust is delegated to the technological system. So as long as people trust that the technology is actually working as it claims to do, then there needs to be no other form of trust in the system. So. That's a basic overview. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go into more detail afterwards with the questions, but um, we can now at what are the applications of this new technology. So the most obvious one is obviously financial applications. So um, after Bitcoin, which was the pay system, um, we can also develop much more sophisticated models, but which are also related on the exchange of value and transaction. So it can go from really the, the, the banking system, so the, the store of value or the exchange of value to remittances. So um, for instance, with Bitcoin or with other kind of blockchain technology, it is now possible to send money uh, from one country to the other, irrespectively of where are the boundaries. And uh, instead of needing to pay, for instance, like 80 bucks every time someone send money uh, abroad, then it, it practically just like a fraction of a, of a dollar. It is also possible to create system for peer-to-peer -peer lending and um, derivatives or security markets, which are essentially just system that, because it's uh, mathematical, as a whole mathematical uh, operation, it is really easy to encode them into the blockchain so that this trustless machine can make sure that everything that has been encoded and everything that has been contracted with the other person will always be, um, will always happen irrespectively of the will of the person because once it has been agreed, once the, the smart contract has been enacted, then the technology, the underlying infrastructure will make sure that the contract will happen. So this can provide a series of efficiencies in uh, most notably in the derivative and security market where there is, for instance, uh, um, oftentimes um, uh, a delay between clearance and settlement, or it provides also better accountability because you can actually keep track of every transaction. Um, 
And so generally, the, today the most, uh, the most, the most attractive, but also the most practical application of the blockchain is in the context of financial transaction. And there is, in fact, a lot of uh, banks and financial institutions that are actually exploring the use of those technology in order to optimize themselves and in order to provide better accountability. Now, another field that is really important um, and that is now currently being explored, most notably by IBM, by Samsung, uh, HP, etc. So it's the is the turning the Internet of Things into the Internet of Smart Things by encoding specific uh, uh, functionality into objects, so that those objects are not just able to communicate with one another, which is already the case with the Internet of Things, but they are also able to exchange to actually create a transaction. So this, this, this has two important um, implications for the Internet of Things. One is the concept of creating this smart property, which means that we can connect a particular token, a particular uh, transaction on the blockchain to, um, to have a meaning for a particular object. So for instance, you can imagine that you have um, a car and this car is linked to a token and only the person that actually can prove that it has possession of the token on the blockchain will for instance be able to activate the car or in the same way with like a, with a telephone uh, only those people that actually have particular tokens in the blockchain will be able to use the phone they will because this is required in order to actually create the phone call so you can create those um those assets which are physical assets but was, which have a representation in the blockchain and therefore it becomes possible to interact with assets through the through the blockchain layer and then of course the other thing is that all all those devices now because they have their own wallet they have like the, a bitcoin wallet around a blockchain uh, system then they are also able to interact with each other and to immediately transactions so uh, the obvious example is the is the one provided by samsung and ibm which are designing these uh, smart uh, fridges and uh, smart um, washing machines that for instance detect automatically when the soap is over and they can um, on their own they can create a transaction towards a grocery in order to purchase new things so whether it's for grocery or soap etc even though we can have those systems where uh, um, you have specific uh, elements such as, for instance, smart locks um, that will only open to the people that can prove that they have a particular token. So you can imagine new forms of Airbnb where uh, I can rent out my house or I can rent out some objects um, and they will only be activated with the token. So in this case, we don't really need um, to transfer anything in the physical world because the object is itself connected to the blockchain and will react according to the token that according to who is the owner of the token. So those are all the possible. Uh, this is obviously all still speculation. Uh, like everything, the technology is still under development and not really mature yet. But those are all things that are possible in the in the short term. Now, another thing that I would like to address, which is more of my of my personal uh, research, and this is actually what is uh, what I consider to be the most interesting in terms of the blockchain, is how it enables new organizational structures, which um, 
which significantly differ from what we are used to. So I can provide just a short overview of um, how the organization that we know today have been evolving over time. And we can see how we have moved away from this model, which was essentially mostly centralized, where we had one big operator or an incumbent that was creating value and that was selling products or providing services to a passive public. And slowly, with the internet, we actually moved into this much more centralized um, decentralized method of production where the value is actually no longer produced by the centralized operator, but is actually produced by the user, by the consumers. So whether it's the case of Uber, Airbnb, or Facebook, YouTube, etc., the value is generated by the user and then the the central operator, the, inter the intermediary in this case, is only aggregating this value and is coordinating the individuals in order to then provide a service back to them. And so obviously we can see that there is some kind of uh, clash that emerge in this system because whereas the value creation is actually created by the user, then the profits are for the most part extracted by those uh, intermediaries. So the question then that, uh, that we would like to raise is, how can we actually make those intermediaries obsolete and how can we actually engineer new system of organization where the value that is produced by the user can actually be given back to those users in a more equal way and so obviously you might have guessed but the answer is with the blockchain so um, how, how can the blockchain actually resolve this issue it's uh, um, it's, it's simple if we actually use bitcoin as an analogy so Bitcoin has shown that it is possible to eliminate the need of financial intermediaries, which is something that was, is, is quite difficult to imagine beforehand because um, it seems really difficult that people could transact with one another without actually relying on this central clearinghouse. Now, if Bitcoin has managed to that it is possible to operate without financial intermediary in a market context, then the blockchain itself could potentially disintermediate many other fields of activities beyond the financial application. And again, this all comes back to this concept of what the economist has defined as the trust machine. So the ability to encode everything that relates to trust directly into the technology itself so that we do no longer need this trusted intermediary because when we actually deal with um, uh, like Airbnb or Uber, etc., the, the reason why we have this central intermediary is because we need to trust someone because we don't know the other people. So there is the coordination and there is the trust and both those functions can actually be um, fulfilled now with blockchain technology. Now, on top of this, I would like, however, to raise um, an issue, which is that indeed there is a lot of discussion that is going on about uh, the advantage and the benefits that are provided by those trustless technologies, which enable indeed the creation of trustless transactions with people that do not know each other and therefore do not trust each other. Um, and this is indeed quite useful, most importantly in the case of financial application, in which basically everything that matters is that I know for sure that I'm going to get the money that I'm due, or in the context, for instance, of the Internet of Things, where it is about coordinating and managing devices 
that needs to interact with each other or with, or with people. However, in many cases, there is a situation in which actually trust is a future in which we actually require or we want to, to find trust into the relations that we have. So when I go into an Airbnb or when I jump into an Uber, I actually want to trust the driver. I want to know that it is a good driver. I want to know that he's not going to try to cheat me, etc. And so when we expand the, the concept, not just into financial application, but into any kind of organization and social relationship, then the trustlessness of the technology actually becomes a problem. And therefore, we need to deploy, the, 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 more, the more trustless is the technology, the more is the need to actually reintroduce a new layer of trust on top of this trustless technology. And so this is the reason that uh, motivated me to, uh, to create Backfit together with some colleagues. And the idea with Backfit is to design a distributed governance system or to some extent a social operative system for decentralized application. So uh, the way in which Backfit relates to the rest of the ecosystem is essentially um, a little bit as an analogy, which is not a perfect analogy, but I think it, it actually really clearly uh, conveyed the meaning, is the idea that um, uh, in uh, 94, before the web was there, then there was the internet that was still emerging and a lot of people were creating a lot of applications. But everyone was actually starting from scratch. There was no single um, standard protocol on which to deploy applications. So the whole application had to build all the way from the TCP IP up. And because of this, there was actually no interoperability between those applications. And then when the HTTP protocol came up, then it became really simple for anyone to deploy web application on top of this protocol. And the advantage of this is that on the one hand, it's really easy. On the second hand, every, every web app can communicate with another web app really easily. Now, when we move into the blockchain stack, the situation is a little bit the same. Today, we have those basic blockchain layers, like the basic infrastructure. And people are, are building a lot of applications on top of them, but all those applications are reinventing the stack all the time, and they are not interoperable with each other. They all use their own tokens, they use their own governance structure, etc. So the idea with Backfeed is actually to design one protocol, one, one operative system on which it becomes really easy to create new application layer on top. And um, so Backfit is basically made of uh, three basic ingredients. So the first one is the consensus algorithm, which uh, instead of relying on algorithmically quantifiable um, actions, such as, for instance, proof of work, as it's using the Bitcoin, uh, it actually relies on actions that needs to be valued, evaluated by individuals. So is a, is a system of people to evaluate each other on a peer-to-peer -peer manner and to provide economic rewards according to the perceived value that they have provided to the organization. Then the second ingredient is the reputation system, which is a form of uh, assessing what is the influence of every individual within the organization so as to enable the emergence of dynamic meritocratic system in which whoever is contributing the most to an organization and whoever is the most aligned with the value system of that organization will have a high of influence. And then finally, the third ingredient 
is the is the economic model so it's the ability for every organization to issue their own tokens and to design a business model around those tokens so it's the is the, is the model of tokenizations that when people contribute value to the organization they will receive those tokens and those tokens will become the means for them to actually enjoy the products or the service provided by the community so contributing gives you free access to the community also as long as there are other people that did not contribute to the community but are interested in actually benefiting from the outcome of, from the output of the community then people have the possibility of selling those tokens on the market and get be rewarded with actual money and so when we find those three ingredients together then it becomes possible to create those so-called decentralized collaborative organizations which are are a borrowing up from the, but so it, it enabled the spontaneous contribution of people that are essentially just identifying how they can contribute to an organization according to what their skills are and there is no one telling anyone else what to do it's completely spontaneous and emergent but to add on top of this and i think this is important in order for this community to actually, to actually scale up it provides economic incentive which are generated, those are economic incentives that can be provided without having initially the actual funds because those are generated through those tokens that will only acquire value afterwards when the, when the service actually gains an audience. And um, in addition to this, the distributed governance structure that is emergent from the influence that the people um, accumulate while they contribute. So, this is, I think, um, a really interesting model in the sense that, on the one hand, it is actually in order to have a decentralized application, in order to actually benefit from the decentralization of an application of that blockchain, that blockchain technology provides, it is actually really important to, have, to elaborate a distributed governance structure because in some way it doesn't make sense to use a decentralized to deploy on top of it a centralized governance structure so those decentralized governance structures are necessary in order to enable the decentralized application but in fact they can also be used in many other fields so it doesn't necessarily need to be only for blockchain application it could actually be implemented in any other kind of organizations so now of course we can also push a little bit further the, the concept of the centralized organization and we can move into this field which um, it's still really still really emergent and no one really understands it yet but it's the concept of decentralized autonomous organization so as opposed to a decentralized collaborative organization which is more like a cooperative which means that it is operated in common by everyone that is actually contributing to it um, in the context of a decentralized autonomous organization we actually eliminate not just the figure of the intermediary but we also eliminate the figure of the administrator and this means that those organizations are actually completely independent in the sense that once they have been deployed on top of the they do no longer need their creators and actually they, they don't actually need to listen to them and they become independent and secondly they are asked in the sense that they can actually charge users for the service that they provide 
in order to be able eventually to purchase the resources that they need in order to survive. So, of course, this sounds a little bit scary to some extent, and um, the, 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 the bottom line will be, indeed, it can be possible to create this kind of like robotic creatures that have acquired a life and evolve without the human being able to control them anymore. But personally, I think that the future looks more like this. I don't know if, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you, you have seen this, but this is a very old um, TV show which uh, presented the, this uh, autonomous car. And the idea is that with the blockchain, with those autonomous Session, at least there is a lot of uh, talk about it. It is possible to create not just self driving cars, but it is actually possible to create autonomous cars that, are, that do not belong to anyone. They're actually self owned and they can just drive around and provide some rights to people in exchanges of money. And with this money, they can then purchase their own gas or perhaps they can repair themselves, right? So there is a lot of discussion about all the potentiality that uh, that could be done when we incorporate the concept of decentralized autonomous organization with devices or with objects that will then become autonomous devices. Now, the problem is that up until now, actually, I think I, I have not yet seen anything even close to the concept of a decentralized autonomous organization. And so this is actually what motivated me to create one. Uh, as, an, as an artistic and so I decided to create this concept of the plantoid uh, which essentially a plantoid is to a plant what an android is to a human so an android is really simply just a robot with a human appearance whereas a plant then is a robot with uh, some plant characteristics right so how do they actually differ one with another uh, plants, the goal of the plant is to reproduce itself, but many of those plants are not actually able to reproduce that, themselves on their own. And they require the, the help of some third parties agents, uh, most uh, usually bees or butterflies, in order to actually support them in the reproduction process through pollination. Now, a plantoid is a little bit different because relying on pollination, it relies on capitalization. So um, it also is not able to reproduce itself on its own, and it requires humans to actually help them in the reproduction process. So the plantoid is basically made of two different parts. One thing is the, is the body, so it's a mechanical sculpture that can move and can light up and sometimes does some music. And then there is the spirit or the soul of the plantoid, which itself uh, subsists on the Ethereum blockchain as a smart contract. And so the reproduction process of a plantoid is made of uh, different phases. The first one is the capitalization, which is basically when the plantoid is begging some extent humans to give it money in order to eventually being able to reproduce. So whenever people can, people can send the money card and uh, the plantoid might do a little dance or might do some music or perhaps do some light show as, a, as an appreciation system. All is to accumulate as much coins as possible so that it will then be able to produce. Then 
once there is sufficient amount of Bitcoin that have been accumulated in a wallet, this triggers the actual reproduction process, which will activate the contract within the Ethereum block, and uh, it will open the mating period, which is when humans or individuals, artists, can submit a particular proposal on how they envision the reproduction, the, the new copy of the plant to be. So it's basically just a set of proposals that will be submitted together with the unique identifier, which is the Bitcoin. And then comes the third phases of reproduction, which is the hiring. So everyone that has actually sent money initially to the plantoid on the Bitcoin wallet has now a possibility to vote on who is the favorite proposal that has been submitted. And uh, they can send microtransactions on the Bitcoin blockchain to those unique identifier, which is the Bitcoin address. And that vote will be weighted with the amount of funds that it has sent in the beginning. And then eventually there is some kind of majority and uh, the plantoid establish who is the winner, who is the artist that has been selected to reproduce the plantoid. And then the plantoid will then create a Bitcoin transaction and send the money to that artist so that it will be able to produce a new copy of itself. And then on top of this, there is, um, of course, an important element, which is the pyramid scheme. Uh, which might sound bad, but actually it's an important incentive structure for uh, artists to actually produce a great plantoid in the sense that if, 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 the, if the artists just get the money and then basically create whatever plantoid um, it wants, but the idea is that every time a plantoid can reproduce, then it also sends a little bit of the Bitcoin that it has collected to its original artist and to its parent. And this means that, therefore, the, every artist actually has the highest incentive to produce the best plantoid ever, because the more this plantoid will be able to reproduce and to create little siblings, then the more this artist will actually acquire royalties on top of that. And so, in the end, we can see that this creates some kind of um, evolutionary algorithm, where we have different branches of the plantoid, that uh, will develop more or less according to whether they are fit to their environment and people can select what they want to reproduce by deciding who they should actually send the money to. And so eventually over time we can figure out that a particular environment is more or less attracted to a particular mechanism or to a particular government structure that the plantoid might, um, might uh, um, implement. And so of course this is just like this is just an example of um, a particular artistic application, but the model is actually really interesting because it shows how, in terms of copyright, we can, we can actually shift the, the focus of copyright, which is still really uh, strongly focused on the artist, where people are sending money to an artist in order for the artist to reproduce new works. Whereas here, because we can actually create those autonomous, distributed autonomous organization, we can actually send the money directly to the art, to the art piece, which itself will then choose which artist should be the one to reproduce itself. And which can evolve according to what the community, which is surrounding it, decides that is the most valuable to fund. So, of course, my, my, my hope with this is actually just to, to be some form of inspiration and to actually see whether this new model of funding 
objects in some way can actually be deployed in many other fields of application. Um, and I think one of the one of the most important one will be in the context of uh, community um, community based uh, objects or you know maybe like building things within a community and uh, where there is no initial funding to do that, but when the community can actually crowdfund the money, but the money is actually not held by anyone, but by the actual object that is being produced. And the evolution of how this object will be depends on what the community wants. So um, I think I'm done for now. And um, of course, you can send some money to the planter if you want it to be reproduced. <laughs> but uh, if not, I'm happy to, to answer any questions. Thank you, Primavera. Um, yeah, this is the other things. I'm sure that the more of, we had like 80 viewers all over the world, so you can, you can think about that uh, you have the clubs coming from Fab Labs in Peru, in Lima, or Fab Labs in South Africa, or even in, in Japan. No? So the whole network is connected. Uh, there, are, there will be some questions coming through the, um, our channel, uh, of the Hangout channel, but I have some comments, no? and also probably I will make you a small question. Um, because I, you know, reading about the blockchain and discussing with so many experts about it, um, um, I know that probably you have been facing a lot of philosophical, ethical, technical questions that have to do with both physical and digital infrastructures, and also the different type of applications, and what it would be the implications in the society. Um, you know, we have seen, we can see that the blockchain might have a, a big, a big effect in our lives in basically how everything works, no? But considering that you have been talking to so many people related with the actual development of, of blockchain, different types of blockchains and applications, uh, what do you think are the more relevant challenges uh, now? And how do you see the next steps uh, for the blockchain to be actually deployed? I know it's a big question, but it would be nice to know uh, where we are, more or less. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the, the obvious answer is that at the moment, the, the biggest challenge is, of course, the technical one. Um, all those technology are mostly in an experimental phases. And um, I don't think, like, in terms of scalability, I don't think we are yet at uh, any point in which we can actually deploy those technology on a widespread and mainstream usage. Um, there is a lot of research that is going on, of course, and uh, I, I suspect that the problem of scalability will eventually be solved in one way or another. Um, the other problem, of course, once we, re we resolve the, the scalability problem, I think, is the user adoption. It's actually the understanding of this technology. So um, it, it does provide really great opportunities. And um, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's what is driving me uh, most, most importantly, like opportunities on how people can organize themselves differently and what are the new business model or new economic model that can, be, that can emerge from this. I think the main problem that I noticed today, in fact, is that Bitcoin as the first application of the blockchain has actually created a strong stigma of the technology. And whenever I speak about the blockchain to people that are actually, you know, more in the common-based uh, ecosystem, 
many many of them actually have a negative reaction to it because immediately it gets associated to this like crypto libertarian um, vision of Bitcoin, and I actually think it's um, it's actually quite a pity because. It does seem to me that today the, the, the people that are, that are the most eager to explore and to experiment with those technology are actually banks and speculators, right? But it doesn't mean that this is actually the only, that, that the only opportunity of the technology are limited to this. I think actually it has such fundamental um, opportunities that could actually really radically modify the way in which we organize ourselves. And the problem is that because there is only one group of people that are actually really jumping on this technology, it's kind of making other people afraid to explore because it gets associated there. So I, I would say that the second challenge is actually pedagogical and it's about trying to explain to people, uh, to like to the layman, what is what is it that they can gain from this technology and why they should actually be themselves as well exploring and experimenting with those new models without just letting banks doing it um and then i will say that the third one is is the is the big debate between like um public blockchain and private blockchain and um i think the the blockchain has like kind of this uh, it's a little bit like the internet so um, in terms of uh impact on society in the sense that it uh, presents itself as this amazing technology that can be more emancipatory and uh, provide more uh, individual freedom and coordination on the on the same on the other side i would say that just like the internet has proved eventually to become this tool of uh, strong surveillance and control the blockchain if it actually becomes controlled and co-opted by by centralized power it can actually become really dangerous because all these concepts of trustlessness and self-execution and self-enforcing contracts will actually be really great if it's actually used in order to design decentralized governance and decentralized organization, but can actually become quite dangerous when it's being used in order to impose particular contracts on people and like what is today just like a, a, a legal contract become an actual technical enforcement. So at the same time, like we need to be careful um, about looking at both faces of the technology and uh, understanding that it can be used, obviously, both for good and for bad, and trying to maximize the good while minimizing the the, the negative side effects. Yeah, I, I think it's similar to what, like, um, you know, the, the discussion about uh, uh, 3D printing. Um, even that it's just only one part of digital fabrication, all the discussion with the DevCat project and, and this guy publishing the plans about uh, making guns with a 3D printer, right? So basically yeah. in this case, the technology itself is actually just a channel um, to, you know, to use it in different ways. No? But I, I would like to relate it, um, a little bit this, uh, um, this comment in relation to, okay, the physical and the digital world. Right, um, and you know, in the uh, all the kind of development of the fab labs and the things that we have been discussed, um, there are questions from from people in the public, from Luis Enrique. Uh, he's asking especially for, uh, about this: how fab labs uh, can benefit from something like the blockchain? In which applications do you think are relevant for us for this network? Yeah, so I think in terms of uh, fab labs, like one really obvious application that comes to my mind is uh, about the the governance and the the management of the resources so a little bit like what I explained 
explained, for instance, when I was speaking about backfield. So the idea is like, how do you actually understand or decide who can use what machine when, and um, how do you evaluate the contribution that every individual is actually providing? So, of course, the blockchain becomes, the blockchain is just a medium. It's just like an interface between people, right? But it's a, it's a useful interface because it enables this, it enables people to coordinate themselves without having a central operator or a central management. So in the context of FabLab, which are indeed mostly like grassroots and bottom-up bottom initiatives, I think it can be useful to the extent that you can actually implement a model by which everyone that is contributing to the, to the FabLab with in whatever way like it doesn't have to be like predefined but people can evaluate the contribution that someone is bringing sometimes it's because someone is like cleaning up all the time sometimes it's because people are bringing material perhaps it's because someone is actually really making people happy and like taking care of uh, of the moral of people and then their contribution to the fab lab can be evaluated and they can be rewarded with those tokens but those tokens are actually not they are not real money. They are, they are tokens that are generated by the FabLab, but that becomes an indicator of how much contribution has been given. And then those tokens, they have two effects. On the one hand, because I accumulated those tokens, I can then use the machine. I, I get credits for actually using machines or perhaps for consuming materials. But on the other hand, and I think that's actually the really interesting thing, is that those tokens can also be exchanged. And therefore, if I did contribute a lot to a fab lab and I actually want to, you know, buy some food, I cannot really use this token to buy food, but I can exchange the token to someone that did not contribute to the fab lab, but that wants to use the machine and then will, will give me some money. And so in this way, you create this hybrid system in which people con contribute to a community either for ideological reason or for actual selfish reason because they want to use what the fab lab is providing. But oftentimes in the, in the communities, the problem is that even if I want to contribute a lot, I cannot because I actually need to you know, pay rent and buy food. Like I actually need to live in the market system as well. And in this way, you have this hybrid model in which I can actually contribute as much as I can to a particular initiative or to a fab lab because I know that some of what I accumulate, some of those tokens, I can actually sell them on the market as long as what the FabLab is providing to society is sufficiently valuable for someone to want to purchase those tokens from me. Right? And so you create this kind of like circular system in which the more you contribute to the FabLab, the more the FabLab is valuable, right? The more I, I bring things, the more, the more I bring machine or material, the more the value that is provided by the FabLab will be higher in the eyes of others. And therefore, the higher will the value of those tokens be. And so it creates a positive uh, cycle in which people actually are encouraged to contribute more and more in order to collect more tokens and in order to increase the value of those tokens so that they can then rip off like economic um, returns from this as well. So I, I, I want to flip the question a little bit and uh, thinking about the hardware challenges involved in the blockchain, how do you think that FabLabs can actually contribute? I mean, now you say how the FabLabs can benefit uh, from the blockchain, but how actually the blockchain can benefit from the Fab Labs? Any ideas? Oh, well, I think I definitely experimentation. I mean, I think there is at the moment very few experimentation about um, 
about those uh, those concepts of like Internet of Things and whatnot. So we have those big big corporations that are doing it, but it's not really transparent what they're doing. And I think that in the same way as like you know the the open hardware community has managed to actually create really great things, it's really important that uh, we actually work in an open manner and in like a in a collaborative manner because those technologies are like really complicated first of all, but it's also something that not a single person can solve. And most importantly, we don't want one corporation to have like, you know, dozens of patents on something and then people cannot profit from this invention anymore. So I think it's really, it, it would be amazing like if FabLabs start, uh, you know, experimenting and trying to develop little devices and, you know, just just do whatever whatever comes to mind. And oftentimes I think that uh, the beauty of this and is actually, illustrated by the planter like i think the the reason why there is no dao there is no decentralized autonomous organization today is actually because it makes no sense it makes no economic sense you know it makes no technical sense and it makes no legal sense because normal people are actually completely constrained by the limits of their um of their work so an entrepreneur needs to have return on investment and uh an engineer needs to make something that is functional or meaningful, right? Uh, as an artist, you can actually explore and you can actually push the boundaries of the technology because you can make things without being constrained by the limits of what you're doing. And that's why I think the Fab Lab actually can provide innovation because they, they can actually experiment and push the boundaries even where it makes no sense yet. But eventually it will actually make sense, right? Thanks for that. I have a question from Xavier Dominguez. Um, is what is the reaction that governments are having to initiatives based on the blockchain? If and also is if is there any country blockchain friendly? <laughs> well, I think the, it's 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 difficult to answer because I think it's really important to distinguish between Bitcoin or virtual currencies and blockchain. Um, of course, virtual currency are now a hot topic as to how we should regulate them, whether we should regulate them and how. Um, most not because of like, you know, all, all the problems that uh, in terms of taxation and money laundering and etc. That, uh, that, that are associated with Bitcoin. On the other hand, I think that blockchain technology as a technology is completely different. It's like, um, so it's, um, it's the danger of regulating a technology which is uh, a very widespread and horizontal form of innovation that can be deployed into so many different fields. And the danger to regulate it with only one particular application in mind, which is virtual currency, is actually has the, has the danger of eliminating the potential that, those other, uh, that, that the other application of the technology can actually bring. So at the moment, the, there is, well, in the US, there is like a lot of regulation. Uh, which I personally don't think is, um, is, is suitable for this technology. Uh, now there is a new hub that was uh, just like two weeks ago, a public hearing at the European Parliament to figure out how and whether to, to regulate those technology. And I would say that actually in Europe, I think that they are, um, the regulators are actually much more aware of the fact that uh, the technology is broad and that uh, it's more than Bitcoin, and that any regulation should actually take into account this. So um, I, I, I don't think there is any, any 
country that is specifically more friendly because I think at the moment the most friendly is the one that has not regulated it yet. Um, but the, the main danger is really that this technology is, um, it's, it's a new technology that is not really well understood by the legal system. And uh, the, the problem is that it looks, it looks like so many things, but it's not exactly any of those. And so you can regulate you know, you can regulate the blockchain as a currency because of Bitcoin. You can regulate it as a security because it looks a little bit like equity. You can regulate it just like a value-added community, etc. So it's uh, it's really complicated because if you're a, if you're a startup or if you're a, an organization that is working in this field, you're actually subject potentially to so many regulations that it becomes really really difficult to operate. And so the problem, I think, at the moment is to figure out how to define this and how to actually frame every single different application of this technology and not actually look at the blockchain as one thing that needs to regulate it according to one way, right? We, we need to look at what are the different verticals that it enables. But the problem is that at the moment, we don't really know them because it's still really emergent. So it's really difficult to regulate something that does not exist yet. Oh. Well, I think I think that some of the I mean, general these transitional moments is is one of the most critical things are these how they fit the new models with with the previous ones. So we're going to have the last yeah. question, but I will ask you to turn off your presentation so you can check, we can we can see you again. And this uh, this sure, last sir. this last question comes from Jonathan Minchin at the Green Fab Lab. Uh, he is saying, how does the economy you propose change our existing dependence on material or resource finality? How is the mode of procurement and distribution change? He's probably talking about the um, um, supply chains and how this affects supply chains in general. How blockchain can help with that? Um, well, there is a there is a few projects actually that are dealing with the supply chain. There is, uh, for instance, the project Provenance, which is. Uh, um, associating every like object that is part of the supply chain with a particular token so that you can actually follow them up. You can follow ex exactly where was the provenance and where are they actually traveling all along the, all, all along the supply chain. Um, so that's, that's one possibility. I, I'm, I'm not sure in terms of, um, in terms of what you're asking though. Is it the materials, the the material and resource finality, I mean, how the dependence can change, the dependence of the material resources can change. For instance, as you know, the supply chains are controlled in a very um, secret ways, where the minerals are extracted to yeah. be put into the silicons. How this can actually, how transparency can help on different distribution? Of yeah, the so I, I don't think you can change necessarily the dependency, but you definitely can obtain better transparency, right? So, for instance, with the provenance, uh, project, what you can do is that whenever you encounter a product, you can see where it comes from and see what it is made of and where what is made of also comes from. And you can actually make an informed choice. And for instance, you could decide, actually, I only want to purchase or to deal with products that have a particular uh, provenance, or I don't want to deal with those that will have this provenance. So you, you obtain the ability to actually follow up. You, you get a better uh, accountability of uh, who is dealing with what. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you get redundancy. I don't, think, I don't think the blockchain can really deal with that, but it can at least make it more visible, right? 
Thank you very much. Well, I have to say that we, ha we might have around 200, 250 viewers or more. We have um, a lot of people from all over the world uh, that have followed your lecture. Thank you, Primavera. You are, where are you? Where are you now? I'm in, still in Paris. OK. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I look no forward fine. to meet you uh, in real life uh, in March. Next month. Or in Barcelona. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much. Cool. Thanks to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.